Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, a show that offers you tips and strategies to help speakers build the business of their dreams. Now, here's your host, 30-year industry veteran and business coach, Jane Atkinson. Well, welcome everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to scale Mount Everest? And I wonder if there aren't a few similarities to building a business, you know, any business, especially during a pandemic, to climbing a mountain like that. Well, today we have Jamie Clark, adventurer on the show. Hey, my friend, welcome. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so glad to catch up with you. It's been a long time since we've talked. Now, you have scaled Everest. You have built businesses, brick and mortar businesses, speaking businesses, Many people have known you as a remarkable keynote speaker, but you have really done a lot over the past 30 years. Tell everybody what your business looks like today and maybe some of those highlights along the way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's obviously, you know, sitting here uh, post-pandemic world, it's substantially changed as Mm -hmm. it has for so many people. But I'm happy to report, you know, the important things in life are are good for us, health and family. Uh, everybody's doing well in, in my immediate and somewhat extended family. Nice. Um, but but obviously a, a heavy heart and, and deep concern about our local communities across the country and, and uh, around the world, really. So lots of, uh, it's not lost on anybody who'd be listening to this about uh, just the, the deep thought and reflection that hopefully the entire globe is going through. But if if the audience will will humor me to be uh, sort of self involved for a second, that's probably the best way I can answer your question. One of my my missions in the last ten or eleven, twelve months, which I think is good for any speaker, is to speak less and listen more. Oh, <laughs> which is kind of counterintuitive Ironic. in many ways, especially when you go on a podcast. You should do the talking, Jane. I'll shut up and listen to you. But <laughs> I'm the guest, so I guess I better answer your question. Yes. So business for me immediately is obviously substantially different, but for the past 30 years or so, I've spent my my time full time between expedition planning and, and execution, whether it be Everest or elsewhere. I did launch, uh, as you made mention in the intro there, some entrepreneurial efforts aligned with outdoor adventure. I'm a big believer in spending time outside, being active. You don't have to climb Mount Everest. That's a bit ridiculous, but just going for a walk every day, particularly now to preserve and improve our mental health. No wonder there's wonderful science available now, but I think we've always known intuitively as humans that spending time outside is important for us. It helps us become happier, healthier, and more creative. And I think the the challenges that we're facing individually and collectively require healthy, creative people. So it's even more important today. So I've always tried to align my sort of life mission or purpose without sounding trite around businesses and activities that support and promote, if you will, that philosophy. So I had my outdoor store in downtown Calgary for 14 years, the bricks and mortar traditional retail shop, ran that for 14 years. And then uh, we transitioned from there into e-commerce, started selling across the country a little bit outside of Canada, but primarily on, on inside our borders and transitioned to making our own gear rather than being just a reseller of other gear to um, build a brand that we were trying to put into the market that would essentially inspire and enable people to be 
active in the outdoors. Again, don't bother with Everest, but take your kids and uh, dog off for a walk. I've never been on a walk that I regretted and probably nor have you. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, I I have a question for you. Yeah. Did you evolve into e-commerce before all the pandemic stuff? Yes. So, so we had so that was kind of ahead of the game on that one. I would well, I wouldn't I don't take any credit for it, but you know, 10 I might guess it would be 12 years ago now, I've, I've always been sort of fascinated with Amazon, both the river and the company <laughs> and realized that uh, this was a place for us that in order for us to compete and and be in the market. Certainly the manufacturers that we'd worked with, like the North Faces and Mountain Hardwares and Arcteryx and the brands that we sold inside of our store, I knew sooner or later that they would also go direct to consumer through e-commerce. So we, if we were going to be in the mix, we had to have some sort of uh, willingness to be somewhat visionary and gutsy and and go to where the, the puck was headed, not where it was at the moment, using a hockey metaphor. Wayne so Red yeah, got into e-commerce like a long time ago. Nice. Nice. So, you know, you're an adventurer. You've scaled Everest more than once. You have, uh, I think it was crossed the Sahara. Was that, what came after Everest? So I I chipped away at Everest was pretty consuming back in the 90s and then into the 2000s. My last trip to Everest was in 2010. So now 11-ish years ago. Mm -hmm. But in between there, I I did also another project called the Seven Summits, which is the highest peak on each of the seven continents. And not just mountain climbing. I'm interested in adventure as a whole. Obviously, right. it's a great privilege to be able to do that sort of stuff. Throw yourself into harm's way and difficulty in a fabricated environment. But then we went and traveled across the empty quarter of Arabia in Saudi Arabia and Oman and UAE. And that was just a real contrast to being vertical and cold, something flat <laughs> and hot. Because wow. I think when we get good at something, we often sort of sit in our mastery, if we can be so lucky to have any kind of mastery. But it's nice to sit where you're comfortable, right? Where things are familiar. Whereas the desert was a three-year project that was the farthest that I could think of from <laughs> my comfort zone, the farthest <laughs> that I could anticipate that I had any skill at, which, which was sort of what was appealing about it. The fact that it scared you is an indicator for me that hmm, maybe we should go over there and check it out. Wow. Fascinating. Really the things that you've done. And I want people to know that you have put as much, I, I, I believe you've drawn from all of those amazing experiences. And each of those experiences was kind of like a little small business in itself because you had to raise money and do all these things and build a team in order to do a lot of them. And then you have taken what you've learned from those things and brought it to the stage. And I have to say quite masterfully, I haven't seen you speak for probably a a decade or two, Jamie, to be honest with you, I should have uh, gone out and watched some videos before we got on this call, but I just have this memory of, wow, this is someone who is really quite masterful. Talk about how much, emphasis you put into that, into the skill set? Mm. Well, public speaking here is a really, oh my gosh, it's just such a fascinating and, and wonderful art. And and really it's it, it, the form of it is storytelling, which is what I'm sort of fascinated with. Right. And um, whether you're a novelist or, or an artist or, or a dancer, 
uh, or a musician, you're creating a story, you're evoking emotion. And, and I believe really in many ways, it's emotion that is the foundation of, of action. So if we're, we're trying to affect an action, uh, we can lecture and talk all day long, but unless we can tap into one's emotion, uh, there's often very little movement that follows because it's emotion that compels a vision. And then, and then you want to follow up on that vision. And I'm a sucker for a good story, really. Yeah. Any Whether it's a piece of art that I look at or, or and, and seeing anyone do something at their maximum capacity and capability is really inspiring to me. And, and on two levels. One, that person who throws themselves completely into an experience, they might not actually be that good at it, in, relatively speaking, right? They may not win the competition. They may not be... Olympic champion, their art might not sell, their albums may not be well known the world over. But when they wrap their arms around their instrument, whatever that is, and just go for it, that to me is inspiring and compelling and evokes great emotion. If you then couple that with also a high level of competence so that you're actually very good at it as well, world class, oh man, that's a pretty powerful combination. So for me, I was compelled as a kid to get into adventures because of the stories I read, books my mom gave me for birthday presents. I wasn't overly happy about them at the time, you know, I wanted Star Wars figurines or something, you know. (laughs) But uh, they were these fascinating stories about human endeavor, and it compelled me. And so I guess I've always been, whether it's in poetry or theater or music, just a story And so then if you're going to call yourself a public speaker, if you're going to call yourself a keynote or a presenter, wow, I mean, that's a pretty, I still see myself as as, as something of a hack. I still, every presentation that I do, I'm I'm constantly looking for ways to improve. And you might have a client or an audience member who says, wow, that was the best talk I've ever seen, which is a wonderful compliment. And it's important to hear that and be grateful for it. But I like to follow that up immediately with, well, why? What was good about it? What resonated with you? Because I'm constantly on this never-ending path to get better. And uh, it's kind of a, I wouldn't say it's a love-hate relationship, but there's a lot of angst involved in it if if you want to be good, I think. Not everybody has to be sort of demented about it, but it's it's a really fascinating way to show up in the world. And you can make a great contribution but it is a, an art that deserves tremendous amount of respect and can never be taken for granted. Well, I think that drive to continuous improvement is why people have been, you know, you've never sat on your laurels when it came to delivering the presentation. It was always like, oh, this could be better. This could be better. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned March 20th. You were in Miami, and then, of course, everything changed. You were late in March, my friend. I thought I had, uh, we had our live event March 7th, 8th, and 9th, and I thought that was the last weekend for the events, but it sounds like maybe there was one or two more. But um, after that, everything went virtual. Talk a little bit about how you see virtual as being something that you know, you've been able to embrace uh, the technology, the technique. Talk a little bit about how you have been able to have success in that area. 
Well, yeah, I ha- I'm, I'm f- finally catching my stride now, and I don't want it to sound like it was. Uh, oh yeah, I just switched, you know, flipped a switch, and away we went. I had a really. It's tough a, this is patch. a year later, and you're saying that, so I'm yeah, very I, interested to hear more. Yeah, I had a really a tough patch. It, I think a couple of things. It was a bit of an emotional roller coaster, and maybe your listeners can identify with this. Yes, in that I've been very lucky for 25 plus years to have. A, a speaking calendar that was pretty much as much as I could handle as a result of other projects and so forth. So I, I don't think I ever took it for granted, but well, maybe I even did at times. So it, I went from having the sort of pace that that fit and was by design to, so that it could plug into and complement other work. So it was, I was never really speaker full-time and I still don't really view myself as a speaker full-time. I have other uh, projects and work. And then I, I try to, I wouldn't say do it on the side. It's not a side hustle. <laughs> it's right. more important than that, Pretty but it's something that I do in parallel that complements other work and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I had kind of gone along for a great patch of time being very, very fortunate to be able to have enough speaking, not so much that it was compromising health or wellness or traveling crazy or, or distracting from other projects, but enough that that it allowed me to generate revenue it allowed me to continue to improve the skill and, and network with great companies and leaders and, and learn and then march 20 boom came home things shut down i haven't stayed this my long at home and i'm not complaining it's just an observation as i have since in 32 or three plus years mm. uh, i'm 52 now so the vast majority of my life i've, I've never been home for 11 months ever yeah You've been uh, not only just on the road traveling for, to speak, but around the world, literally right. having adventures that yeah. were quite lengthy. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I know speakers miss that feeling of the interaction with the live audience. What What is your take on that? Well, I got pretty bummed out for a while. I really did. I didn't, I didn't pivot or transition as smoothly or as quickly as I don't know, I'd see so easy to make judgment on everything. I did a pretty bad job of it, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not trying to pick on myself, but looking back, I really stumbled and kind of fell to my knees a little bit because I was like, what's going on? I had a really great spring lined up. I had some work in India yeah. that I was super excited to go and do. You're like mourning the loss yeah. of that spring, you, the, you had, the year. Yeah. And again, I didn't, I'm not trying to be spoiled. I mean, we were quite concerned about health and well-being, and my sister's a nurse and trying to really understand what was happening on our planet, but from a kind of selfish navel gazing way for a moment inside of this, you know, conversation with you, I personally have a real struggle for about three months where the thing that I had done and been doing and thought I did fairly well for many, many years was gone. And my identity was wrapped up in it a little bit more than I would have agreed to, or I would have defended or argued if you'd asked me. Even your your identity as an adventurer, your identity as a speaker. And I'm, you know, I just want you to know you're really helping. I'm getting emotional saying this. You're really helping a lot of people by saying what was true for you, Jamie, because a lot of people feel the need to beat their chest you know, and be the one with the cape on when they come to 
the table to talk about anything like this. Oh yeah, I was able to do this and pivoted very quickly. And and there haven't been that many guests that have really said, you know what, I really struggled. Yeah. And I think that it's important. I mean, we have a big awareness for mental health here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and 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 I, if you know, it'd be handy to be able to say, oh, you know, I had a couple of weeks that was rough, and then I sort of bounced back, pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and bada bing, <laughs> off we went. No, no, it wasn't. It was three plus months mm. of really uh, wallowing, and and I've I've been lucky in my life to not really struggle with those deep troughs that can come in terms of our just sort of mental well-being, mm-hmm. um, and and that was the first time in my life I'd ever really saw it, and it. it I realized that I was in, I wouldn't say, I guess if I'd let it kept going, I could have got myself in more trouble. But I realized it was unfamiliar territory for me, feeling so poorly. Right. And I realized, man, you're you're courting the sense of depression because the things that I know would normally bring me joy that I would go and do, I had no interest in going to do them. And that was kind of the indicator. Hey, you want to go cross-country skiing? Something I love and have my whole life. Nah. Hey, what, let's go for a mountain bike. Nah, that let's go for a hike. Mm, for sure. really. We should go walk the dogs down around the pond. No, I don't even want to do that. Like all the sort of joy of, of activity that being busy and on the road would have been, oh, I can't wait to get home to go and do a bit of that. Where I found I could get rejuvenated and clarity. I was just sort of, meh, lost my appetite, wasn't sleeping well, didn't want to get any exercise. Like, wow, man, what is happening to you? And I had to sort of reach out to some friends because it felt weird too. I was kind of embarrassed. It's like, mm-hmm. Jeez, what's wrong with you? You're the guru. Usually grabbing, you know, the bull by the horns. Let's roll. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. boy, this thing really pulled the rug out from underneath me. And that um, was a good three-ish, four months that took me. And then I just started kind of taking my own advice, basically <laughs> just reminded myself, of, well, let's think of life right now as an expedition because I'm good at expeditions. That's you know, exactly what I was is, thinking. Yeah. You know, the, the <laughs> my tent's organized, my pack is organized, you know, yeah. my food is prepped. Is I'm good. Adventure. Yeah. This is on an, an expedition for you. What's the, what's the new thing? And, and, but you, you don't get there until you get there. And it's interesting. You talked about, outdoors being where you shine and there's something to be said for feet on the earth like how that truly does ground you and when you do get yourself into any type of a time of where you're feeling unsteady mentally getting outside can be incredibly helpful i really remember i was still living in dallas after 9 11 and of course, I had stayed in the house crying for days on end. And then I went for a walk by the lake and everything changed. You know, just like that grounding of getting your feet on the earth. Once you kind of looked at this as a new adventure, did you get back to some of the habits that brought you joy again? Yes. And it wasn't overnight. Again, it wasn't like a switch, but mm-hmm. I just made the promise to myself that I was going to get out every day. 
for an hour, which is also a great luxury. I, mean, I, I live in Calgary. We have incredible outdoor spaces. Yeah. I'm on the west side of town. If, if your listeners are familiar with that geography, you know, a 45 minute drive from my front door is some of the most beautiful outdoor terrain on the planet. Yeah. So very lucky. And I just made a deal with myself. Like I treated myself a bit kind maybe more than I normally would. And I don't mean soft. I just mean kind of like, dude, this is really tough. And you've got to make a promise to yourself that you're going to get out there three, four days a week and go for an hour's walk. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting, Jane, was that I, I, instead of doing hard work, which is what I normally do in the mountains, right? I normally elevate my heart rate and do anaerobic intervals or push up the slope hard or, and that's stress. One would argue it's good stress, but it's still an accumulation of stress. And so rather than going out and doing the hard workout that can give you the endorphin boost and you feel good that at least you accomplished something, I purposefully said, all right, I'm not going to go out there and kick my butt. I'm just going to go out there and move. I, you know, your heart rate's 105, 110, 115, 120, nothing, exa- nothing uh, difficult or challenging, just moving. And it took, a, it took several weeks, like it took another month of doing that where then, okay, now I kind of felt my stride and I've, I kind of shifted from focusing on the fear of what was happening in our planet and stopped listening to so much news, mm-hmm. <laughs> which has yes. never been my habit. I, uh, I need to keep, you know, we as leaders in the community, we kind of need to know what's going on if we want. I mean, I'm sounding fancy to define myself as a leader, but I like to sort of know what's happening but I was getting consumed by it. And I became too focused with the fear of stuff I couldn't control and made a shift to kind of just focusing on strategy, which is the expedition mindset, which is the entrepreneurial mindset. I'm going to not pretend that this doesn't worry me and not shove it under the carpet because that's only going to cause problems later, but I'm going to focus on strategy on what are we, what are the next moves? What are we doing next? And then that's when the sort of virtual presentation world began to, I found the interest and energy to explore it. Very good. That is so real and raw. Do you think you'll ever write about this journey? Well, you know, it's funny. I have barely even talked about it. So, (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm opening a can of worms here. New topic. Yeah. I mean, I've talked. He's got a new topic. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked to friends and, and family, of course. I've talked to my wife and I've talked to some friends about the sort of the struggle of going through it, but I haven't outwardly spoken about it like we are right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it, and I feel comfortable doing it because it could be like in advance of this interview and the invite to join you on your podcast. It was all in the spirit of, well, how can I be of service to your listener? Is yeah, really we, it. How can I really help? We didn't know where this was going, people. This was going to be called Elevate Your Speaking Business. And I think I'm going to retitle it You know, and I just think this is such a powerful conversation. People don't always land at the top of the mountain. There is a journey and there are crevices along the way. And you know better than anybody. I certainly don't know what that's really like. You know, there are so many things to be learned about this conversation. It was shocking to me, you know, and, and it was it was kind of something that I hadn't experienced before. Yeah. Uh, and, and in many ways, really an important experience to go through, which is always the case in retrospect. Right. We always look back and find silver linings or purpose for things, um, which is sort of the human instinct. But 
it, it enabled, I, I guess, being able to talk to you about it and just being honest with myself about it and, and not pretending otherwise. It certainly didn't help that when you looked out into, say, the speaking world, mm-hmm. you could see, you know, hundreds of examples of people who were just cha-cha-cha, just going for it. And they've got this podcast and they're doing that filming and they're speaking with all these clients virtually and they're just out there kicking butt. And you're like, wow. Wow. And how I, did that know, make you feel? Ah, well, I was in one hand trying to be happy for them, but it was, <laughs> it was a real struggle. Like normally I'm pretty good at like when I see someone doing well, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like I in- inherently really feel good about seeing other people succeed. But when I was in that, in that kind of funk, I was like, oh man, I was jealous and angry, which was also weird. Cause I was like, what are you being jealous for? That's not your normal personality. Why are you being you know, grumpy about them doing so well? Mm-hmm. So I, again, you know, that was some sort of a weird, dark part of my character poking its head out. Uh, but it all, it just, yeah, basically just made me feel worse mm-hmm. rather than taking inspiration and ideas. It just made me feel worse for a while. Now, you know, when I got into that kind of mental state of being active, but not kicking your butt every day, keep your stress levels down, approach life like an expedition, expedition life was my mantra, mm-hmm. focus on the strategy start chipping away at learning virtual presentations, understand the technology, work on the technique. I recorded dozens of presentations that I did just, you know, by myself in a room and then painfully played them back to watch them. I find it terrible to have to watch yourself, but yes, as a speaker, we have to do it. So I did dozens of those and watched them and critiqued it and made notes and changed the light and improved the microphone and changed this screen and fixed that and tried new software and just went to work at figuring out what does it take to be a virtual presenter, which is entirely different, as we all know, than standing on a stage in front of 3,000 people doing it live. And even though I didn't, I wasn't presenting to clients at that point, I began to get some momentum and feel like I get some progress. And, you know, I wasn't sweating bullets so much every time I was working Zoom or Teams or, yeah. you know, the camera was actually working and the mic sounded okay. And it started to make some progress. And then I felt some confidence and momentum. And then I felt good that I could actually speak with a client and felt good that I could say, yes, let's do a 30-minute virtual talk. I believe I've got some value I can now offer to you. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we had to remind our clients of early on and everybody went through this at their own pace jamie early on was the value that you had pre-covid is still there the value that you bring to the table is still relevant it's still helpful for people but i'm very curious to see if you go on and create a talk or something (laughs) around the idea so i think we're going to relabel this the superhero struggle (laughs) Because you all are out there standing up on the stage. And, you know, this this, um, question has come up to me over the years. Who motivates the motivators? Who inspires the people who are paid to inspire others? Mm. You know, and and Vince once said to me, I know you and Vince are friends, uh, a long time ago that sometimes it's lonely at the top. You know, when you're the person and all the eyes are on you, maybe there's an audience of thousands of people and all the, uh, you know, there's a certain something to that. And you have done such an amazing job over the years, Jamie, of keeping your ego in check. 
And what Vince meant while about it being lonely at the top is that you're standing there, you're getting all this glory. And then two hours later, you're in your hotel room by yourself, you know, eating maybe dinner that came to the door, whatever it might be. And, and who is the person that kind of lifts you back up again? Yes, that's a great question. For me, it comes in multiple sources. I think inspiration, it, it links back to what I made mention at the top about the love of storytelling. And I find inspiration in a piece of music or a piece of art right. or a piece of theater. Uh, so I find inspiration, not as much from specific individuals, but from individual acts of you know complete commitment. Uh, and I think sport has a role there. I've done a lot of work with various um, hockey teams in the NHL and the Canadian team at the Olympics and in, in Korea and so forth. And so sport makes sense, but uh, there's such an elitist component to it that, that sometimes the inspiration is different there. I'm finding inspiration in maybe more simple and less dramatic ways. And you know, I feel like if I'm standing on a stage, I'm more of a, cur- a purveyor of an idea, a, a, a middleman, although I hate to say Like a guide. Man. Yeah, a middle person. You know, mm-hmm. I feel more like I'm channeling some information or some ideas right. versus, and that's always been my approach to the speaking. It's like, I've never really stood up there and go, wow, thank goodness I'm here to help <laughs> save the day for you. Uh, you have no idea how lucky you are that I'm here speaking today. that's never been the case it's i've always had this sense of oh boy am i ever grateful that of all the awesome presenters you could have picked the other four that you really wanted weren't available and so (laughs) as your fifth choice it's my honor and treat to be here and i'm going to do such a great job that maybe in the future i'll be your third or second choice and that's always been my sort of approach to it and the idea of uh, being a channel or a conduit. And there's so the audiences that you, we get the opportunity to speak to, there's, it, they're filled with so many amazing people. You think the leadership that you hang out with in the green room or you talk to on the conference calls in your research and planning, uh, the, the creative minds that create the themes and the production values that you do your AV check with that make this whole thing happen, this incredible stage on which you get to stand the audience members who are out there, if it's a sales group or who that doesn't even matter that are actually doing the work on a day-to-day basis that contribute to the creation of this company that, that make it exist and pay your fee in the first place. Like you're really in um, pretty impressive company. Every time you take the stage, you just uh, have the light shining on you for a moment. But I always remember and, and sometimes reference it when it's appropriate. It's like, boy, there's, a hundred of you out in the audience that could be up here doing this yes. and really, really remembering that. And I think being an entrepreneur as well, having some other businesses and run them has given me a greater appreciation yeah. of what it means to really run a company, a deeper empathy about the decision-making and the stress and the day-to-day effort and the grind and the victories. Uh, it, it's really, I mean, it, it's it's quite an amazing, wonderful activity, isn't it? My life has been so enriched across 25 plus years. 
probably 30 now. Shoot. <laughs> we're going to stop <laughs> I, at 30. We're not, we're not, yeah, we're not going to add it anymore. <laughs> I gave my first paid talk in the fall of 1991. It's like, oh my gosh, wow. 1991. So, and I look back at my life, it has been so incredibly enriched. And I'm not talking about a, a you know, a wealth, I'm talking about a wealth of experience mm-hmm. and a richness of understanding which is just, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I just, I really wouldn't. Well, you know, the people you've gone exclusive a few years ago with uh, Kepler. And I just want to say that that agency is very lucky to have you. They are an amazing group of people too, by the way. And uh, if you were going to choose to go exclusives with, with anybody, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful choice. Oh, let's just final question here. And I'm just so grateful that this conversation went where it did. What has that relationship been like as you have evolved through COVID together? Yeah, I'm very lucky to be working with Kepler. And it was a tough choice back all those years ago. I don't even remember how many years ago now, maybe 12 or 15 or longer, mm. 18 years maybe. I've, I've been exclusive with Kepler. And making that decision to go exclusive with an agent is a complicated decision because it's certainly, you know, when you get into the weeds and the reality of the sales cycle and you have a commission salesperson working at X Bureau, you know, they don't want to split their commission. Right. And you get that. And no doubt you hope at the end of the day, people are like, well, we want the best speaker for the client. And if I have to split the commission, and that's all sort of that wonder wonderful, somewhat superficial explanation of the situation. Right. But you know it, if you're in there and it's a hard job, uh, you know, selling speakers into clients and uh, you want to sell the ones that you make the most commission out of. I get it. So there, there is, it, it, it is problematic when you, on some levels from a pure business perspective, going exclusive. But I think it made a tremendous amount of sense for me because I had other consuming projects. Yeah. I had other stuff on the go. And your entire business. It wasn't. Yes. If it was my entire business, I would have probably someone internally who was Mm -hmm. a bureau relation manager, among other things. But their job then would be, we're going to keep you front of mind and high, high, high service levels so that, you know, when, when an agent books you, it's the easiest booking. The details are taken care of. The customization is on point. The uh, the product is top notch, and just build a, a reputation among bureaus that hey, you know, booking Jamie is a slam dunk. It's easy, yeah. and we want him to be that. You want to be, I think, as a speaker, very easy to work with with a variety of agents, and you want that to be the case with your clients too. And the demands have shifted and changed over the years, right? As ebb, things ebb and flow, recording and add-on facilitation and come in early for this dinner. And, mm-hmm. and my answer to those, uh, barring some sort of weird conflict of scheduling is yes. Why wouldn't I want to spend the night before with the execs having dinner before the, sure. you know, sit at this table with a group of people who lead a $5 billion company? Hey, actually, would you mind if I invite you to dinner? I'd love to be. <laughs> Do I want, hey, would I'll you come you to our, dinner. yeah, you want to come to our cocktail reception and meet our team? Uh, actually, I'm already here. You know, of, of course I do. Look, I, I, you want to sit in for the four hours prior to your presentation to hear all of our internal speakers? Yep, I sure do. Do you have customers who are coming to speak too? Like, it's an enormous privilege. And uh, so you got to really take care of your client as a speaker. I think you really have to take care of the agent, the production company, uh, the AV team, everybody. 
needs to be taken care of because you are very lucky to be in the spot that you are being hired to come in and speak. Whether you've done the, this is the 55th gig you've done and it's your only, uh, you know, three quarters of the way through the year, uh, or, you know, you're pushing a hundred, it doesn't matter. You got to do that. Like it's the one and only gig you're doing this year. It's got to be, I think that kind of energy and intensity and focus. So to answer your question, to shape those relationships, it made sense for me to go with Kepler. And mm-hmm. Jim Kepler is a guy who I could call right now and he'd actually answer my call. Yes. Uh, or at least say, dude, I'm busy. I'll call you back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I found is you're looking for a reasonable human being. We might not agree all the time. We might have some conflicts. We got to compromise. There's going to be some sticky situations. But to know that you have someone on the other side that's a reasonable human being with whom you can discuss issues and come to conclusions is what you're looking for in a partner. And Jim Kepler and his team have been that for me for pushing 20 years, even before we were exclusive. Incredible. Very lucky to go up now. And and let's give a shout out to Karen Harris, who was your agent for a long time prior to that. 100%. Was part of the foundation of what brought you to today, right? Indeed, Al Hobson and I back in wow, this is early to the early 1990s. I'm taking you back. <laughs> yeah, you're taking me back. Basically, we're looking for someone who could help us in the speaking world with booking directly, as well as managing our bureau relations. And we, we, Karen didn't work in the speaking industry then, and we reached out and just found her through a process of connections and interviews, and we're just so impressed by her intellect and enthusiasm, that combination of good sales skills, but also leadership skills, and just really got it. And, you know, without those early days of that work that Al and Karen and I did together, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you for Mm -hmm. sure. And I remember she flew out to, to talk to me in Vancouver when I was representing uh, Peter Legg. And we started a friendship at that point that has probably approached uh, the two decade mark, maybe more. And so I think sometimes the relationships in this industry are just so amazing. I mean, they're the longest ones in my life, 30 years, a lot of them, just incredible. And I really appreciate her and what she brings to the table. Absolutely. In the and still with CMI. Totally. Look at the great business she's built there. Yeah. And, 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 and here we all are post COVID going through a, a really difficult transition. And I know Jim and his team have, have really, you know, struggled, but are focusing on strategy and figuring out how do we move forward. So for me, with my relationship with, with them, it's as strong now as it's ever been. And through the process of trying to understand how we deliver value for our clients in terms of total change of, of the speaking format, the delivery of content, whether it's pre-recorded and they play at their event, whether you go live you know, sitting in for the three days of virtual talks by get the other speakers that mm. precede you, uh, re-recording and recording again and making sure that you get it right. I don't edit my pre-recorded talks. I, Jamie, we've got 30 minutes for you. Okay. I go into my studio. I go to work. I record it top to bottom 30 minutes. If I'm 20 minutes in and I think it's a pile of garbage, I stop and restart. Because I want to create that intensity of a top to bottom keynote. And I don't want to go into the editing suite after and try to patch things together because I, I like did a crap job of a segment. It's not authentic. It's not authentic. And, and, and I, that's where I come from as a keynoter, having done all the research in advance. I do a lot of calls with my clients in advance. I sit in 
on all the speaking speakers that I can. A couple of the virtual ones, I've gone back into their archives if I can gain access. And I often sign NDAs in order to do this and watched last year's conference for a handful of clients. Mm-hmm. I went back and watched all the presenters from their 2020 conference or their 2019 conference. So I could understand the leadership and the vision and, and the work and what they were looking for. And then, you know, enabling me to have a deeper sense of awareness of who they are because I don't get to have dinner with them the night before. We don't get to go up and sit and have breakfast. I don't get to sit in the green room and, and chitty chat. I don't get to see them in rehearsal and see what they're up to. So I got to find, we got to find new ways of building that rapport and connection. And we don't have to get on a plane and fly a day. So you've got 10, 12, 14 hours there just in travel that you can now invest into research, knowing the industry, knowing the company, knowing their competitors inside and out. And um, I just really dive in deep and I've got my walls covered with, you know, names and buzzwords and and their business (laughs) and and the acronyms blow your mind half the time. Right. So just trying to unpack all the acronyms and (laughs) walls of my studio are covered with these cues so that I can understand what's going on. Because obviously some of these businesses are very complicated and their models are very complex. And it's not that you become an expert in their business, but to know who you're talking to. It's got to be what is the, the top rule of, of public speaking, know your audience. And, and sometimes it rarely even comes up. It might rarely even make an overt sort of borderline cheesy uh, parallel to the organization because then, you know, if you do your work, then it, it, it guides you on what stories you're going to tell and the connections are deeper and more meaningful. And, and you've always been so good. You know, people cannot relate to scaling Mount Everest, but they can relate to having challenges in their business that feel like Mount Everest. And you have always been amazing at pulling them into the story with you. It's not just about you there on the map. Hopefully it's very little. Yeah. It, it, my presentations today are, are, are sort of hung on the adventure metaphor, but really have nothing to do with it. Right. If I'm doing a good job and we, you know, it's funny because it's sort of adventure speaker, inspirational speaker there. There's, there's so many of them and so many great ones. Uh, and, and you have to be able to deliver more value than, you know, 20 years ago and Everest story was probably pretty cool, but now, not so much. Yeah. So what is it that you get to bring to the table? And, and yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Much of what I talk about has very little to do with the specifics of the adventure and more of the sort of generalities. It has to be entertaining. It has to be yeah. compelling. It has to have a beginning, a middle and end, a, a steep story arc. There has to be all those components of excellent delivery and energy without faking it, right? That's why I don't ever do the cut. It's top to bottom. Yeah. In the pre-records. But you pull all that together and you hope to take this audience and now virtually, and I have quite a little setup to do it. Not too fancy because tech can get in the way, but enough stuff that it doesn't look gimmicky and goofy, but enough. I have three cameras. I've got a a switcher. I've got a tech, you know, proper setup so that it opens a portal so that you can make a connection. And now we're doing what? I'm, I'm interested to know your experience, but where before I would do hour keynotes, now I'm doing 25, 30-minute sure. virtual talk. It's enough. People yeah. are staring at their screen. That's enough. 
I'm give me your thing. That. Give me everything you got. Give me the best of it. Don't promote your book. Don't sign me up for your newsletter. Don't try to de- just come in here and give me everything you have yeah. in 30 minutes and high five the group. That's I think 30 is probably going to be the magic number. And, you know, moving forward and it was starting to be that way anyway, because of Ted talks, but uh, yes, I think shorter is going to be better. Well, I think it's very interesting where this conversation has evolved to because some of your superhero characteristics have come out in the, all of the things that you do to endear these clients to you, Jamie. You have been someone who has uh, put a really high bar on uh, presentations in our industry. And I want to say thank you for showing up fully to this conversation what didn't go where either of us expected. And I love that. And I think you're really going to help a lot of people with what you've talked about on both, you know, the, how you did pivot and all of the things that you're doing to really make it meaningful for your audiences, but also the path to getting there incredibly Mm -hmm. impactful. Thank you so much for being so real and raw. Well, thank you. Thanks for the interest. And I, I think for all of us, we have a very, we have a really important job to do right now. I've had a handful of clients who said, wow, we really need to, to hear this. And, and so I think we have important work to do without getting, you know, taking ourselves too seriously, but we have important work to do and virtually, although it was a struggle, but I think it's going to open up opportunities for us to deliver ideas and content in a way that we had never imagined now that we're hopefully collectively all getting better at it. I'm doing talks in you know Berlin this week and Australia, and I would never have been able to pull those two off together. Okay. And I've had a busier January than I did last year. And February is going wonderfully. So, That's you know, great. this is expeditions, <laughs> to use the expedition life metaphor. It's not a straight path. It's circuitous. There are deep valleys. And we can uh, work our way through them, but there's always a, there's a, there's a summit on the other side. So Jane, it's a real treat to uh, uh, be be climbing a little with you today. (laughs) Jamie Clark. Thank you so much. If people want to get in touch with you, where should they go? They can go to jamieclark.com. I know that's, but I started that back when it would made sense to have your name as your website, but yeah, Jamie Clark. I'm sorry. Okay, good. JamieClark.com. So that's J-A-M-I-E-C-L-A-R-K-E.com. There's a contact you in there. My email is Jamie at JamieClark.com. You can shortcut that little dance and just fire me a note. Thank you. Happy to help. And I'm going to find a cool, uh, maybe you can help us select a video that we can post out on the show notes of this. If you want the best show notes, come on over to SpeakerLauncher.com. Click on the podcast and you will see all of the options there, and you'll get the best version of the show notes. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. And with that, we will say, see you soon, Wealthy Speakers. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. If you need help building the speaking business of your dreams, head over to WealthySpeakerSchool.com and take advantage of our 20-minute next step call. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast.